0: Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined, as always, by Brian Gottlieb. And we've been playing Hella Caldheim, a bunch of different decks. Standard, in my opinion, is okay, but clearly has some problems. This is not the worst that we've had it. And I've been enjoying myself, but I'm also kind of skeptical about that because <laughs> it's like, this isn't is great magic, you know? But I've played some really good games. Uh, a lot of it kind of depends on what deck I've been playing. But I don't know, man. W- what do you think about all this?
1: I agree with your assessment entirely. I uh, think things are better than they have been at the release of, like, certainly BFZ because we had the Omnath problem. And, you know, we've trimmed a lot of the really problematic outliers over the last few months. So I am generally enjoying myself. I am enjoying the deck building process more than the gameplay. That's not really out of the ordinary for me, but I I do think there is some like, I, I still think there's a core fundamental disagreement I have with the shape of the game right now where battlefields and hand size is just too large. Like you, magic is a game about resources, at least the way I love to play magic. It's always been about resources. Like think about the decks I default to and, you know, control style decks or snowball engine type decks. Like I am always trying to play a resource battle. That's always the lens through which I've viewed Magic the Gathering. Now, granted, that's probably limits me as a player somewhat and like certainly takes away from my capabilities. So it's somewhat of my flaw, but still it it has always felt to me to be the essence of the game, the resource exchange. And uh, there's, there's no exchange of resources presently. You just have all the resources you ever need and you're supposed to learn how to operate within those confines. And when you have unlimited resources, it muddies what matters a little bit. You, you can make a lot of, quote unquote, good decks, but do they actually do the things that matter? In a lot of instances, the answer is going to be no, even when you have something that's totally functional.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially right now when everyone has – like the best thing that a lot of folks can be doing is by trying to abuse an engine, right? Yes, so, yep. It's weird that it's like, well, magic's like kind of a resource battle right now, except instead of fighting over like a card or a half card, you know, just eking out those small edges. You're like, well, if I draw my great hand, I'll draw my deck in two turns yep. uh, versus, you know, just having some four threes and one ones and five fives attacking my opponent. So like there is a wide disparity in power level. So, yeah, everyone everyone has everything all the time. For, for the most part, you know, uh, they're either using Into the Story or The Great Hinge, now Showdown of the Scalds, Yuri Blinks. And it's, it's a little bit too much. Uh, this is probably a bad time to roll it out on mobile, I think.
1: It definitely feels that way. You know, it's interesting, though, because I always like to ask the question, is this a me problem or like a broader problem? And I'm open to the idea this is a me problem, because if you look at the growth of Magic and the success of like, Commander, Commander is all about this style of play. It's all about having huge resources and putting together your engine. But like, the goals of a Commander game are not the same as a game of competitive Magic. Like, you're supposed to be doing something entirely different, and it's supposed to be a showcase for these explosive moments. And in the past, you would do these things in standard constraints, and it felt novel and interesting. But when everyone does it all the time, in a lot of ways, it's just not the same game. You're playing on very different axes, and very different things matter.
0: I agree with you, but I also don't think that it would be a bad thing uh, to incentivize commander players to get into standard and vice versa. No, I
1: agree. I agree.
0: So uh, I, I think that they they should you know be somewhat different, right? And standard should not have every deck kind of look the same. But yeah, I mean, there's there's also things like modern, if you want a different play experience. Now, if you're talking about the stuff that you like, well, I got bad news for you. Hmm. That doesn't re- that doesn't really <laughs> Do exist.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. That's fine. I, I'm I'm cool with that. I'm cool with exploring many things about Magic. And there's enough for me to love in Magic, even when the core gameplay isn't in the direction I prefer. That. I'll get over it. I'll I'll find something else to do. I'll I'll build a bunch of decks and send them to people and you can play them or I'll stubbornly play decks that maybe aren't the best decks and lose a bunch but be like, "Okay, I'm losing my way." If that's what I have to do right now, that's what I'll do. Uh and I'm I'm cool with that. I just I like to share my assessment of where things are at. This is certainly nowhere near one of my favorite formats, but it's functional. It it doesn't appear to be broken in any way and the deck building has been fun. So,
0: do me a favor. I will. Once you don't even know what it is yet. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. I trust you. <laughs> how, Hit me. How, how can you commit to that now? Now I'm under so much pressure. Uh, <laughs> once per set cycle, you should try to break the format or like build the best version of the best deck.
1: Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that exercise. You know, it's it's not like I'm checked out from making a good deck. It's just I don't want to tune the Naya Adventures deck. I yeah. So it doesn't uh, offer me anything.
0: I know. I know that you're not checked out. Of course not but I think that your chops are also like very well served towards that sort of thing. Mm. And if you are just like, well, if magic is going to be crappy, I guess I'm just supposed to do the things that I enjoy so that I can, you know, have fun on my own or whatever versus participating in the system. And I would like you to continue participating in the system.
1: Okay, that's a fair request. So I guess step one of that is figuring out what's the best thing to be doing right now? And that's kind of our goal today. A little bit of review of what's happening presently in Standard.
0: Yeah. Uh, One last thing that I will note is that uh, a couple times over the last week or so, I've been getting on Discord calls with a few people. And I had a session with Josh Show, and there were a couple people that bounced in and out, where I was playing some Boros Showdown, which I also wrote about this week for Star City. And I think the, the deck is quite good. But just being able to play these like small, white, uh, aggressive creature decks and have my best friend on the line and be able to talk about lines as far as like, you know, are, are, are we the beatdown? Are we playing control? Do we make this semi-risky attack with the season mm-hmm. Hollowblade? Can we afford to like discard this resource? Where do we put our counters with Luminarch Aspirin? How many things do we attack with? Like sequencing with Showdown, all that sort of stuff. Like it was really cool. And granted, a lot of the games were like, "Okay, this is fun, but now I just show down to you and revealed three spells or whatever, so you're super right. dead or right. whatever but but like the minutia of it was awesome, and I really did enjoy that
1: i that's a really good assessment. I, I was present for some of that. The minutia is definitely still there. It is like you said, sometimes overwhelmed by the explosiveness and the engines. but that doesn't really matter, right like your job is to optimize your lines and figure out the highest percentage chance you can get of winning. And that will always be rooted in minutia to some extent. You're, you're not able to escape that. I wish it was a little bit less about that and more about the grand game planning. But the stuff is there. The decisions are there to make, depending on the deck you're playing. I mean, it comes in, like you said, the experience is very different if you're playing like ramp. I think there's far, far less of that, but the white creatures are good right now, and they're pretty decision-intensive, too, and I've had a lot of fun. Almost every deck I've built over the past week and a half or so has been showdown of the Skalds-based, and there's a lot of small deck-building decisions and play decisions that come around when you're building around that card.
0: Agreed. So with that in mind, should we start with uh, this Rogues decklist?
1: <laughs> yep, yeah, that's that's where we're starting things this week, heading over to the Magic Online decklist. You know, we like to do our deck dumps from time to time, and this week is no different. Looking at the standard league from February 4th, I believe, is that correct? Just published today?
0: Correct. Uh, over the weekend, there were a couple standard challenges and another tournament, maybe it was just another league. So I've already felt the effects of this, playing on the arena ladder, where I play against a deck, and I'm like, you know, what the hell is this? And then I play against it a second time, and then I go back and check the Magic Online deck list, and it's like, oh, okay, now I know where this person yep. got this deck list from. People are definitely paying attention to these deck lists, and I mean, this this event uh, only has twelve published deck lists, so it's not a lot. But usually, when there are big tournaments, people show up and play in them.
1: Yeah, I, I think the best data point is always going to be the showdowns premier events that happen on the weekend when it comes to the moto decks because it's actual tournament space but those are a few days old at this point i i do think things change that quickly that talking about four day old deck lists would not really be in our best interest so we chose to go with this league but i i do recommend if you're trying to get your finger on the pulse of this format you need to check out those standard results from the weekend. And of course, Star City Games is going to start back up this weekend as well uh, with the SCG tour online. So that'll be another really good data point when it comes to tournament results for these decks.
0: Yes. Agreed. So that in mind, first deck list from Glacier 7, Demir Rogues. And I'm, I'm searching. I'm looking so desperately to find a new card.
1: There's not one. Zero. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Zero new cards. But an important lesson there, I think. Like this is just... Basically, rogues from last format doing some of the tweaks that are not necessarily new. We've seen them before. Uh, three lull mage domination main, three of one mind. But this deck hasn't gone anywhere, people. Like, it's it's still good. It's still solid, especially in the hands of a really good player. And I think a lot of the deck building I'm seeing wants to ignore that fact, but you can't. This deck's going to be there.
0: Yes, and the, the first couple of days of Call of Times release, I did not play against it very often. But as time went on, I certainly played against more and more opponents who were just like, "Well, I guess I'm I'm just going back to rogues." Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's still a very good deck. I mean, they they do still have an engine into the story. They also have their mill game plan with Luris. So there's a lot of stuff going on They're They're coming at you from a bunch of different angles. They are also drawing a bunch of cards, have a bunch of interaction. Their mana curve is super low, which I really appreciate. And this, yeah, this deck is is still going to be very good.
1: Yeah, I, I really like the combination of a low mana curve and disruption right now. You know, when people are trying to play things like Goldspan Dragon and correctly so incredibly powerful card, but Do cheap stuff. That's that's how you can deal with that and have a counterspell ready to answer Goldspad Dragon so they can't get ahead in that resource game. And I think Rogues does a really good job of checking all those boxes. Not the sexiest choice, but if you already have a bunch of reps in with this deck and you have a tournament to play this weekend, you might just want to head back down this path again and use your knowledge to tailor this towards the metagame you'll be facing.
0: Yeah, you could do worse. Agreed. Mogged, mono green. This is, this is more aggro. We have some Swarm Shambler, Stonecoil Serpent, three copies of Vorinclex at the top end, and one copy of Asika's Chariot as far as new cards. Nothing in the sideboard it looks like either. Oh, Snakeskin Veil, sorry.
1: Yep, Snakeskin Veil's on the sideboard. Love that card. Uh, what do you think I think of this deck?
0: I think that you think that it is a thing that... Uh, You would probably never play, but I think that you think that it's also a good deck that is undervalued.
1: I I actually love it. I love it. And I've played it a bunch. I know that's shocking because this is, you're right, not usually in my range. But if you listen to us during Kaldheim previous season, you know I was high on Vorniclex. And I, I like the way these decks are being built, where they just have this baseline capacity to be aggressive. You know, they have the Kazandu Mammoth setups love Struck beast is always going to add some aggressiveness to the deck but they have the engine of the great henge still present and then Vornaclex is so good against so many decks in this format it it's doing exactly what i thought it would it, it's about the defensive abilities like it really doesn't matter that you're getting additional counters from your great henge i mean I, i'm i'm sure People have definitely followed up a Vorniclex with a Stone Coil Serpent, and it feels great, but you just don't have to. It doesn't matter. The, the whole thing is you're shutting down Binding the Old Gods, you're shutting down Elspeth Conquer's Death. There's so many good sagas seeing play right now, and Vorniclex being a strong defensive option. I mean, I'll be honest, a lot of the early deck building I was doing was just cold to Vorniclex. And even decks that I've been excited about this week, earlier in the week, like I spent time working on Urian Runes, which I was really happy with how it came out, but I left a huge gap in that deck when it came to Vorniclex, just because they were so reliant on Sagas for removal. So this is something that's going to have a lot of influence over the metagame. And... When you see the play patterns present here, this deck is actually a lot of fun. It's interesting. There's a lot of, like you said, those micro decisions come up all the time. And also you just have powerful starts. You can just go very early Vorniclex on the back of your Tangled Florahedrons and your uh, Castle Garen Briggs. So I like having that explosiveness as well.
0: I spent a day working on two different mono green decks because I was looking for a shell that could maximize Vorniclex. And one of the things I was excited about doing was old growth troll in the food setups because they're already trying to you know play somewhat of a long game and witches oven into old growth troll uh, gives you a rampant growth basically whenever you want it so that's yep. another way to accelerate very cool. uh, one of one of the things that I haven't tried yet is blessing of frost which I also think is very good but maybe it's too weak when you like, you want to play four Garen Briggs if you're playing a bunch of yeah. Uh, so maybe that makes your blessings too weak. I'm not
1: sure. I'm not sure either. Uh, I only really experimented with that card in very devoted snow decks where it impressed, for sure. It, it's quite good in those spaces. So I don't know how it changes if you just have your 17 snow-covered forests or whatever. But I am a believer in the card in terms of raw rate, for sure.
0: Yeah, and then this is especially one of those decks that could benefit from Faceless Haven, but... You know, again, maybe that's uh, a slightly different deck because that doesn't work super well with Garen Brig or if you're playing mm-hmm. Old Growth Troll and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting that even within Mono Green, you have so many different options for ways to build your decks. And like, they all seem pretty good, honestly.
1: Right. That's I mean, that's one of the great things about cards being super powerful these days, which they unquestionably are, is that there's there's a lot of really good cards that are not present in this deck. And maybe at some point it'll be correct for them to be present in that deck and if you want to be like an arc archetype master and just spend all your time with mono green you can shift on a week-to-week basis and really do a lot of stuff in an archetype that should be limited right like you should just be a stupid green stompy deck that's not the case at all though you have control over how much card advantage you have uh how many answers you play how much removal you play all that stuff is really present in the metagame so that's a very cool feature of deck building right now
0: yeah the dfc's help a lot too as far as consistency sure. and being able to curve out and everything so
1: Yeah, yeah, I really like the the mana base in this deck. (laughs) You're playing 29 lands, basically, uh, which seems wild. But this is how we envisioned these decks operating when we were in the preview season uh, for the DFCs. We were just like, this changes everything. You get to never be mana screwed again, and it's going to be great. And it kind of didn't work out that way. But here's somebody going back to that way of building a deck and getting really nice results out of it. And you feel it when you play the deck. It just operates very smoothly every single game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next deck from Gracias Portanto. Boring gruel, I guess. Uh, three Goldspan Dragon, four Embercleave, two great Henge, two Masked Vandal main deck also. Uh, 21 land with four Smashing and four Kazandu Mammoth. Like, pretty clean list, not doing any nonsense with know splashing showdown or anything definitely sticking very aggressive with all the ember cleaves also has three questing beasts so i'm down with this the more i played with gruel and, and tried to experiment and be all over the place it was like nah just like streamline the deck beat people down that's all you really need to do
1: yeah boring but efficient is the way to look at this and i i like the hard focus on Embercleave with goldspan dragon i think that aspect of goldspan dragon has been underappreciated in a lot of ways which is weird because uh, Goldspan Dragon has gotten so much good press. If you saw the article over on Star City this week, they did a, a really cool feature. I, I like this quite a bit where they had all of us put in our rankings for the best cards in the set and then tabulated the scores and figured out what was the aggregate number one card in call time. It, it was Goldspan Dragon. It's a card very much respected by everyone right now. Uh, but the the sexier new homes are getting more press at the moment. The combination with Embercleave is wild though like you just produce so much damage out of nowhere and this deck that's all it wants to do big bodies uh slapping ember cleave on them win the game let's move on to the next one and i can't fault that approach at all
0: i'm i'm really pretty upset about that column though because there were people who like didn't have gold span and showdown in either like the top five or in the one and two spot
1: people are allowed to be wrong. I mean, <laughs> that's always allowed. I, I can't fault them for getting things wrong. I've gotten plenty of things wrong. You know, if you look back at our list a week ago, we, of- we had Cosmina at the top or Kasima at the top of our list. So, and that card has seen almost no play in standard.
0: Yes. Uh, so you're allowed to be wrong, but it's like by the, by the time you're writing that article and like everyone, the information's there. Yeah. The information's there. And it's, it's very clearly those two cards, but you're just, I don't know. Talking about how good Doomscar is or whatever, it's like, yeah, the cards, the card's fine, but like, what is what is this list that we're making? Yeah,
1: yeah. The, the top two cards in the set, I think, are indisputable, and most people fell on them, and they did finish one and two in the rankings. It, it was Goldspan Dragon and Showdown of the Skulls, and I can't dispute that at all. Actually, I showed on the Skulls number one, which you know, I I think that was a contested spot, but has kind of played out in the first weeks of the format. I it does seem like that's the archetype having a little bit more success right now. I I think long-term you can make a good case for goldspan. And I said, it wouldn't surprise me to see those cards trade back and forth throughout their history and standard because they're both just incredibly powerful.
0: Right. And I mean, sometimes they're just in the same deck too. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, this deck, this deck is nice. I agree with most of what's going on here. Have you, have you played much with, with gruel or just like even normal aggressive deck, but adds goldspan dragon.
1: Like I a very small amount. Like I, I did want to see what it's like just adding Goldspan Dragon to the default list early on, and it was fine. I mean, it doesn't really feel like it changes the archetype in any meaningful way. It's just another good card to add to the mix, which is acceptable. You, not everything has to revolutionize uh, what was already a very good deck. So my experience isn't deep, but I, it just felt like an okay addition to something that was already in the top tier of the metagame.
0: Yeah. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is uh, Portanto added a land. To, to most stock gruel lists, which yeah. I definitely agree with and have not seen people really accounting for that. And granted, it's like, oh, you're playing four Smashing and four Kazandu Mammoth. Like, does it really matter? And well, you, you want your fifth land to etb on taps, right? Right. So, no, I mean, there's also like RR considerations, uh, I guess with, you know, four Ember in the mix, like that's another thing too, where it's like, oh, well, maybe you want to go even, even harder on that. But yeah, the... So these cards these cards change the way that you have to build your mana bases, too, especially if you're, like, splashing Showdown and all sorts of things. So keep that in mind. Yeah, good point. Sapoa, Rakdos, Sacrifice. I got thrown off by the Savai Triumphs. I was excited for a little bit.
1: No, don't get too excited.
0: Uh, yeah, this is, this is pretty normal. Four Crown four War main deck, uh, Emberth Shieldbreaker main deck, no immersturm Predators.
1: Mm, yeah, and also moving away from, like, the old Ingenie-style Rakdos deck, this is a way closer to Rakdos Sacrifice, I would say, which makes it even more interesting that there's no Emmersturm Predators, right?
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, there's Rankle instead, which is which is honestly pretty close.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, which is better, just in a vacuum. Which, which card do you like better?
0: I mean, Rankle is going to solo people far more often, and... Predator needs a little bit of help, which this deck has, you know, two Skyclave Shades. It has some Woast Rider tokens, but you're not getting the Mire Tritons and like Timurit Calls the Dead zombies Mm -hmm. or anything. But this deck also only plays two Kroxa and the the normal Rakdos, like, you know, casting Kroxa on turn two and not developing your board was a, a fairly normal play if you didn't have a whole lot to do. So I would expect this deck to maybe have more... Fuel for Predator on the turn you play it. So I don't know. Yeah. It, it feels like that card might be better, but it's it's close.
1: It's an interesting decision. I think that something like this is an important part of this metagame. There's some things I'm not in love with about this list. I think it's a little underpowered versus everything else you can do in the format. Like I talked about never running out of cards. This deck can run out of cards. It has some card advantage. It has village rights. It has things to play from the graveyard, like Woe Strider, but it is theoretically potential. It has potential to get to the end of its hand where almost no other deck in standard will ever reach the end of their hand. So I would just do this in a Mardu style. Uh, I've been working on some Mardu sacrifice-ish type stuff. Uh, I sent you a Mardu Mardu Pyromancer deck list yesterday that you didn't love, which I'm very offended by. Literally built a deck... To give you a Mardu Mardu Pyromancer to play, and you just dis- dismissed it, didn't love it.
0: You sent me a deck list with Usher of the Fallen and said, "Hey, it's Mardu Pyromancer." All it I is. said, all I said was, "These are not the same thing."
1: It is exactly Mardu Pyromancer. Hold on. Let us look at the comparisons here. Let me tell you okay. why this deck is Mardu Pyromancer.
0: Hold on. Hold on. Let me Let me cut you off. We'll We'll talk about your lovely deck in a moment. Okay. I promise. Okay. I've I've played a lot of rectos I agree with you that you will likely run out of cards in hand. And that is the goal in a lot of instances because of things like Ox of Agonis or even sure. like Castle, Castle Lockthewain, right? But you very rarely run out of things to do with your mana because you have a lot of stuff that you can escape from the graveyard, Castle Lockthewain, activated abilities, stuff like that. So it's it's a rare occurrence where this deck actually runs out of stuff to do. I mean... This one with only two Croxas, not as much fuel for the graveyard.
1: Right. This one trends like, differently than the average it, Rakdos deck, I think.
0: It, yeah, it is. It's going to do that a, like a, a decent amount more often than the like actual self mill Ractos decks. But don't don't just be like, oh, you know, you go hellbent, you lose, or whatever. That's not really what's going on here.
1: Sure, definitely an oversimplification. All right, now I'm going to yell at you. So I send you this Mardu, Mardu Pyromancer decklist. Exactly Mardu Pyromancer. There's now no now I actually have to
0: look close to this decklist. Oh, yeah, Clarion Spirit. Clarion Spirit. Yep, got it.
1: Clarion Spirit is Lingering Souls. If you all want to see this decklist, uh, you can go to my Twitter. I posted it there. Can I discard Clarion, Clarion Spirit? Spirit to Faithless Looting? Maybe you can. It's not a great play. But Clarion Spirit is your Lingering Souls. You have uh, Village Rights for Faithless Looting. You have Showdown of the Scalds, which is Bedlam Reveler because it draws you a bunch of cards and then it doesn't give itself prowess. It gives everyone else on your team prowess, basically. It costs so, twice as
0: much mana, but sh- sure. Sh- 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 silence.
1: <laughs> going on, we have Usher <laughs> of the Fallen, which is Young Pyromancer because it's just going to put a bunch of 1 1s into play. And what spots is, where is, like.
0: What is Clarion Spirit then?
1: Well, that's, that's closer to Lingering Souls because they are oh. flyers in that case.
0: God. Okay. Uh,
1: so all of this combines into a beautiful, beautiful Mardu Pyromancer deck that you should be playing right now and enjoying. And then you get beat down some Blood Sky Berserker, and you just have these really aggressive draws. I, I actually think this deck is reasonably good. Like it, it, it needs some tuning for sure, but the idea of ultra cheap threats really getting paid hard on your showdown of the Scalds and building these impressive battlefields and making Blood Sky Berserker into a real magic card, which the that card's played with it. That yeah, just played play with it at all in limited, or even in like older formats, is starting to get some love. I, I think the card is quite good and worth building around. Um, and then there's like weird little cross synergies with like Shepherd of the Flock being able to enable your two spell turns in a lot of instances, and even using it to get mana back in some spots. So there's some questions as to how much you're supposed to be doing claim the firstborn Woe Strider stuff, I think. And maybe you are supposed to be doing more rankle things to take advantage of all these tokens you're making all over the place. I, I could see that being, or even a Mercy Impretor. Like, all, both of those four drops are completely reasonable. I just wanted a really low, to the ground, clean look at the deck on my first pass. And this falls under that list of decks I've been working on that are just like, what can you do with Showdown on the Scalds? How can you make the payoff even larger for an already incredible card? And... A lot of what I've seen around deck building of Showdown and the Skulls, I haven't loved. There, there's just too many expensive spells in decks with Showdown, and I, decks, I know you feel the same look,
0: way. My decks look great, though, right?
1: Your decks look good. You, I yeah, mean, a lot of hell a lot yeah. of what I've picked up from building around Showdown has come from like the way you've put your decks together. I, I think it's important to make concessions to your mana curve. And I even go as far as doing something like Stone Coil Serpent, where I, like sometimes I play that for zero, and it's important to my deck. And that shouldn't be a common play, but the flexibility to just make sure you're able to always get everything out of your showdown on the Skulls, and then really taking advantage of those plus one, plus one counters. Like I've done some stuff uh, with Naya counters and Conclave Mentor, which I think is really interesting, where you just go off when you have your showdown and people should look more at that, but there is some disconnect with how you're supposed to be building up around this card right now, I think.
0: I was interested in looking at those approaches because of Bazri's L- Lieutenant. I'm mostly off that card as a way to beat sweepers because I think there are, there are just better ways, but hmm. yeah, I, I think using Showdown as a counters enabler is completely reasonable. Uh, what exactly is the Mardu Pyromancer analog for Stonecoil Serpent?
1: That is a good question. Uh, what what was like the biggest scaling thing you could do in Mardu? Like what are you, are, could go large and are you gonna be a mana tell
0: me. You're going to tell me the like looting's flashback cuz like that was the thing that you did when you were like way out of gas. Maybe. No, you stopped dude, you stopped at four mana. Like you didn't yeah. you didn't have to scale. This isn't this isn't Mardu. There's there's not really disruption. There's not enough spot removal. You're playing way too many things. Like Blood Sky Berserker, I wasn't trying to beat down in Mardu, man. That's is, this is why it's not a Mardu deck.
1: It's the future of Mardu. The future of Mardu Pyromancer. For a world that has grown cold to the loving embrace of Mardu Pyromancer, this is what it has to do now. It's what it's turned to in these desperate times.
0: It's like when modern became a bunch of decks that were like, okay, well, now we're splashing the Eldrazi. Right, right. you know what i'm talking about it's like oh here's my death and taxes deck now with eldrazi or yeah. like here's my you know like banned collected company deck that now plays thought seer instead of collected company or whatever this is kind of what it reminds me it's like yeah the world has has grown cold and now you must play blood sky berserker in your mardu deck instead of <laughs> instead of uh terminate or whatever
1: right yeah, and look, the comparison is definitely tongue in cheek to Mardu Pyromancer. And in reality, I think like this is probably closer to a Sam Black deck than like a Jerry deck. There's a lot of fiddly pieces and like using your creatures for value and getting really wide. What this deck's really going to need to succeed is some way of benefiting from a wide battlefield. Because if every deck can go wide and you go wide really small, it doesn't feel quite as good. So, what mostly happens here is you end up making one large threat. And you play a little vulnerable spot removal, which is a a question I really need to answer if this deck's going to eventually be like a top tier competitor.
0: It's worse than Boros because you have Selfless Savior and Season Hollow Blade. So when you go tall, it doesn't matter. They can't do anything.
1: Yeah. Well, so the the Naya counters deck, I still played Season Hollow Blade for that reason. Like it, it doesn't fit with the theme, but you're exactly right. You need something like that where you can just be a brick wall. And maybe that's what you have to do here as well.
0: Yeah, it kind of does fit with the theme, though. I mean, it's, you know, Conclave Mentor is really good because it just chills there. And if you have things that are putting counters on themselves, then that's awesome. But yeah, if you have Season Hallowblade, you need a card to put counters on it, which is a little bit difficult. But I mean, like, Showdown exists. If you wanted to not play Showdown for some reason, you could do Blessing of the Frost stuff. I think that'd be fine.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I didn't really look at that angle. That's interesting. No, but it, I agree with you that uh, Season Hollow Blade, very important card in this format, for sure.
0: Yeah. Big JC, zero, 0 18 planes, two Castle Arden Vales, and a bunch of hits. Four Luris of the Dream Den main deck. Uh, Love it. Hushbringer, Glorious Protector. Okay, so if you're playing Mono White and you decide, I don't want to splash Showdown. Okay, you know, that's that's your choice. I get that. You think that mono-white just has it all. I think that you should probably be interested in more glorious protectors, but regardless, playing one is definitely reasonable. I appreciate card it. card
1: has impressed me. Whenever it's cast against me, it always does something good. I mean, it's it maybe a little clunky, a little expensive, but uh, there's no question it can swing a battlefield pretty dramatically.
0: I mean, 3-4 Flash Flying was, at least for the decks that I played, that was the, the good part of Restoration Angel, you know?
1: Mm, not anymore, Gerald. Times times are I, changing.
0: I understand. I mean, there there are things, you know, you have Luminar Gaspirant, you have Maul of the Skyclaves, perhaps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that card. I, I think it makes a lot of sense in this format, and just being able to go Season Hollowblade into Maul is how decks like this can steal a bunch of games. Uh, I, the really smart thing here is the Ford Loris of the Dream Den in the main deck. I... Also think that was a question I was really trying to answer with the Marty Pyromancer deck is, am I just supposed to be playing that card? And I wanted Honest,
0: to... Honestly, probably.
1: Yeah, so the the turning point was that I felt like I needed more ways to be paid on my Claim the Firstborn. That's why I ultimately went with Strider, but that could be a mistake. And maybe you're just not even supposed to be playing Claim the Firstborn. So I, I want to look at that. There's something very appealing about just playing a load of Loris's. Again, watching you play a lot of your Boros deck, you had main deck Loris, correct? Yeah, I had two copies. Yeah, and it was so critical in so many games and changed how you were able to play in so many situations that I, I totally believe there is a deck out there that just wants four copies of the card and wants to always be optimizing its plan around it.
0: Yeah, and we, we messed with that before. Just before the companion rule changed, it was just almost always better to play the one in the sideboard and then you yeah. have, I don't know, call the Death Dweller or whatever to, to just bring it back. And... That, that way you just always had it and you didn't need to play four copies. But in in a situation like this where how many one drops are in here? 14? Yeah, there are 14 white one drops, uh, four of them being selfless saviors. Lurus is good. My Boros deck has nine and two of them are giant killers, which is given the format, it's usually a spell, you know? Right. And Lurus is still solid enough there. And it's like, obviously, you can return two drops with it and stuff too. But a lot of the time you are trying to stick it on... Turn four, turn four, where you get, yeah. Yeah, get to play it and a one-drop. And, you know, especially with a deck like this, right? Like 20 lands. I mean, there's two Kabira takedowns, but waiting until turn five to play it and a five-drop is kind of a tall order. So, yeah, 14 one-drops. A bunch of them have lifelink. That goes well with Maul the Skyclaves. Lurus obviously also has life link, And then there's, like, this backdoor speaker of the Heavens game that you can play yeah. with this deck, which I don't... Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if it's very good or not, but, I mean like maul hushbringer into mall with a speaker on the battlefield it's like you're gonna be activating it pretty quickly
1: you are uh i i'm not going to judge it until i play with it and i'm never going to play with it because i'm never going to play this deck but it, it, i can i can see the case for it i can understand why you're trying to go to a longer game that speaker of the heavens enables and uh, you know the four loris main plays really well with that idea as well cause Let's not forget, Laris has lifelink for some reason. Of all the ridiculous things it could do, it also has (laughs) lifelink. So uh, there's a lot of ways to take advantage of it. Usher of the Fallen has been such a get for these white decks. I mean, it's a subtle card. It doesn't really dominate any games, but just having that two power one drop changes how so many games play out.
0: Yeah, I will note that uh, Glorious Protector lives in the sideboard of this deck. The other three copies are there, so that's great. Why didn't I try this card instead of Basri's Lieutenant when I was trying to beat sweepers? It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me.
1: Well, I don't have an answer for you. Probably hadn't wormed its way into your memory banks quite yet.
0: Yeah, but like when – I don't know. When we were talking about it, I was like, yeah, this this can save all your stuff from a sweeper. That's, that's pretty good, right? Or if you get swept and your battlefield was kind of minuscule or whatever, it's like, okay, now you upgrade to a 3-4 flyer, right? So – this, this card is good. I need to try this card more. Another card I want to try more. Uh, there's one copy of Sigrid, God Favored, in the sideboard, and mm-hmm. I I still don't think it's great, but I think that there's a lot of value to just playing like one copy.
1: Okay, just to make your opponents think about it. Put I think it you out can, there.
0: I think you can get them. You know. Okay. One thing I will note though is that uh you know playing these Boros decks against Gruul, you really need to keep them off of the Great Henge. So a lot of the time, you know, they play a Lovestruck Beast and I need to cascade it immediately or Skyclave Apparition it and I can't wait for them to attack me. And this this works if they block with it, uh, which is kind of cool. But I don't know if if they have Great Henge and you're attacking into them with like a seasoned Hollow Blade. Yeah, yeah, they probably they're probably just gonna be like, all right, they have Bone Crusher or whatever. They're not going to put you on Sigrid, but they'll be like, well, it's not worth the risk. I'll just take it.
1: Yeah, I I think in a lot of cases you'll be incentivized to just take a little damage unless you're facing real aggression, Uh, which is another subtle way like I I love the snowball of aggressive decks and it's weird because I don't play a lot of aggressive decks in Constructed, but I do tend to draft very aggressive decks and I love the way the early damage influences every decision your opponent has to make throughout the game. And again, something like Usher of the Fallen has a very small impact in that regard where you've done a little chip damage early and where your opponent would obviously pass on that block if they were at 17 if they're at 14 maybe they start thinking twice about it
0: yeah and if if they're at 10 or something like well maybe you just have to block yeah next deck is from victor saya this is gruel but splashing showdown so there's a lot of weird numbers in this deck but a lot of them make sense to me so there's there's 23 total lands with two shatter skull smashing and four kazandu mammoth the weird numbers are three Brushfire Elemental, two Emberth Shieldbreaker, two Giant Killer, two Goldspan Dragon, one Scavenging Ooze, two Shepherd of the Flock, one Embercleave, two Great Henge. I, I agree with a lot of that stuff. I mean, I think that Showdown in a deck with Henge, Embercleave, Goldspan Dragon, etc. is not great. But as far as like getting the most power that you possibly can out of your cards, this is the way to do it.
1: Right. It's a it's a weird tension. I, I prefer to build in the way that we talked about earlier, where you're just always getting everything out of your showdown. But at some I point, did, the cards are too powerful to deny. And you're just supposed to jam those five drops in there. And sometimes you run poorly. Sometimes you run really well.
0: Yeah. When So I started, I wanted to play a Goldspan Dragon, Sajiri Shelter, because mm-hmm. you posted like a mid-range Boros list. And I was like, all right, I'm going to iterate on this a little bit. So obviously you're playing four dragons and four shelters. And I was like, well, I'm playing Boros. Obviously, I'm supposed to have Showdown in here in in some numbers. And after thinking about it, I was like, I guess the number is two. And I side the other two because you can't really play four with four dragons.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it, that's where I started in my deck list. And then I played Shadow of the Skalds and I'm like, nope, I want it the other way around. And I'll just play right. fewer dragons.
0: That's that's what happened to me, too. I was like, look, yep. dragons, dragons good. But I mean, if if I'm going to be trying to do this powerful like mid game type of thing showdown just gives you more mileage and way more spots. So I eventually just went towards building on, on that axis. Right. But yeah, I don't know. I, like th- this, this deck was basically the second stage of how I was building that deck where I was like, well, maybe I do four showdown and two dragons. Then it was like, Nope, cut the dragons for grizzly bears or whatever.
1: Yep. Get and,
0: lean. and yeah, it gets super lean. Uh, so I don't know if these decks are eventually going to go that route. That's basically the Naya deck that that we were all working on that Majors wrote about, where you know you're playing the Adventures cards, you're playing Showdown of the Scalds, and where that eventually leads you is Jasper Sentinel, no five drops.
1: Yep. Yeah, it it's a good question and I I also don't know which way we're going to end up when we get to the end of the evolution of this deck and it probably is not ever going to solidify around one or the other like you'll just float back and forth depending on metagame considerations or personal preference which is fine there's a lot of really good options and that's how things work these days. This deck was kind of the poster child for my early in the show rant where you look at how aggressive this deck is supposed to be like it's playing two drop 1-1 one, one haste creatures, and it has all these massive, massive threats. And then you look at how many cards it can draw, and it just has so many engines with Edgewall Innkeeper, the Great Henge, and Showdown of the Skalds. This this beatdown deck will reliably draw its deck if you give it the time to do so, which is a preposterous spot for decks like this to end up in.
0: Control players, the, the Shaheen Saranis of the world, listen up there was a time when I wanted to play like control decks with, you know, no win conditions basically. Yep. And then there was a period in magic where Tarmogoyf was better than Doom blade. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I just play Tarmogoyf instead. Right. Because instead of just killing one creature, it's, it's killing all of their creatures, you know, cause they can't attack through it. And then there, there were like the matchups where, it's, it's just a five, six and you, you get to close the game really quickly. And then it's like, well, if that's the case, maybe I lean into like kind of the, the tempo aspect of it. And then there was, uh, a format. We talked about this a couple of casts ago. I think like the blink format where Tarmogoyf, uh, I played Tarmogoyf with edge of autumn and flagstones in a deck that was like mostly creatures. And it was, be- it, it was because it was like the best doom played, you know, it's like, oh, this bant blink deck is a little bit too slow. I need help against the Rakdos and Gruul decks in, in the metagame. So you play Tarmogoyf, you try and cycle Edge of Autumn on Flagstones or even just like cycling on a normal land, ambush the creature in combat, whatever. It was the best dooblake mm. you, you could play, right? And a lot of the creatures were just like the best card drawers. You play like Aeon Chronicler and uh, even things like Mystic Snake. It's like Counterspell plus Blocker, cool. And this deck is, yeah, your, your Lovestruck Beasts, they kill your opponent, but... It's it's a ruse. It's all a ruse. <laughs> like you're never trying to kill them with Love Struck Beast. It's like, yeah, I'll attack yep. you. But realistically, what I wanted to do is enable the Great Henge or make you spend mana to kill this thing, which will prolong your game plan, which will allow me to cast Showdown of the Scalds and now draw you. And same thing with like Edgewall Innkeeper. It's like it's basically how the Golgari Adventures deck functioned, right? And yep. these these gruel decks are the best control decks, straight up. They have, they have the best card drawing, the best removal, the best engines. Their mana is pretty good. And they have these weirdly divergent game plans where, yeah, if you have the beatdown draw with the Tarmogoy for whatever, you take it, you know, but it's not something that you're necessarily leaning into every time. And you look at how people sideboard with this deck a lot. Usually it's Brushfire Elemental is the first thing to go, like Brushfire Elemental and Embercleave. Yep.
1: I, I think that was an awesome assessment of where things lie right now. Y- you know, I love win conditionless control, but like even me, when I'm building control decks now, it, you you just can't build them like that anymore. It doesn't make sense when these decks have those kind of capabilities. So the control deck I've been working on recently is like Nico Aris, Archon of Justice, Alren's Epiphany, and then a bunch of control elements, because I feel like I need that engine. Like if you can do the Great Henge, then I need to kill you in one turn, basically. And that's what I'm trying to set up. I'm not just trying to sweep you and then play a Planeswalker and draw a couple cards. That's not, that's not going to get me anywhere. I'm not going to ultimately win like that. So, Dude,
0: Archon and Nico work together, huh?
1: They do. They they work really well together. And I, uh, I'll i post the list on Twitter after this comes out because I, I don't think it's particularly good right now. So I don't want to mislead people, but yeah, I, I do want to share if people want to see it. It's an interesting idea, and it's more of a concession. Like, I have to do things this way if I'm going to try and play control. And it's got a lot of the pieces you would expect. It it has sweepers. I'm actually playing shatter of the Sky over Doomscar, which I know is going to be controversial, but I think it's like probably better right now for what that deck wants to do because you need to do something more proactive on two. Like you're either playing your uh Omen of the Sea or you're playing your birth of Miletus to just kind of get the ball rolling in that fashion. But uh, Thirst for Knowledge is there, which also, or excuse me, Thirst for... Meaning. What's the new one called? Meaning. Uh, Thirst for Meaning is present, which also makes Nico Aris into like a reasonable kill card in a lot of spots. It's able to take out some bigger threats. So I've appreciated that. All these interactions, they line up really nicely with each other and... The, the point I'm trying to make is it's still not a true control deck because if I just sat there trying to sweep you and draw cards, I would be dead before anything meaningful happened in the game. I'm looking to close the game in a very short window, and that's the way Magic is played right now. And you can jam your head against the wall all you want, but at some point you have to accept the reality that if the Gruul beatdown deck can easily outdraw you, you can't play the control deck. It just doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah. Gruul, Gruul is the best control deck. Just play it. Yep. I mean, Boros, Boros is also kind of similar where I have Giant Killer and Glass Casket and Skyclave Apparition and it's pretty easy to kill, you know, the, the majority of the threatening things that your opponent does. And in a lot of cases, it's mostly just keeping them off the Great Hinge for at least a right. little bit. And in the meantime, you're like, oh, look at me, I'm attacking you. But you're just like, haha, I don't care, you know, because I'm just eventually going to showdown and draw a bunch of cards and win that way. Uh, so it's it's interesting. I don't like it. I I would like it if Agreed. the kill <laughs> if the kill cards were just ember cleaves. Yes. And the edgewall Innkeeper like dealt your opponent 2 damage or something.
1: Yeah. I am trying to very constructively complain throughout this podcast basically. And I hope I'm doing a good balance of it because my frustration should be clear to people. And I think they're shared by a bunch of people, but at the same time, there's no reason to just be like, this is terrible because it's not terrible. It's just, it's different and it's weird. And it maybe is something I have to adjust to, but uh, you you can't, you can't deny reality once it's there.
0: Next up SWB one one Oh. And it's, it's like, uh, this deck dump knew where our conversation was going to head. Yeah, so very well planned. This is Demir Control splashing a little bit of green for Binding the Old Gods. We've seen the old Demir Control list that played Urian kind of move in this direction where now they're playing Binding because Binding is awesome. This deck is 80 cards. It does have a Urien in the sideboard. Uh, but this is, you know, I don't kind of like tap out controls like Maze Mind Tome, atris Four copies of Extinction Event. There are some counter spells. And then the top end is three Ugins, three, because that's what you need to do. You can't grind people out. You have to like sweep them and also still have a big thing left over. You have to like really go over the top of them. And then three cop or two copies of Coma Cosmos Serpents. I didn't think I would see this card.
1: This card in play is way better than it reads. I'll say that. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of into this card. I, I think it might have a home. I'm not into much else going on in this deck list. I came around on these decks when they started doing the solemn simulacrum stuff at the end of last format uh, I, to get to Ugin. Like it, it made sense. The the format needs an Ugin deck. If this is going to be the Ugin deck, that's fine. Now you're trying to do the same thing with Binding the Old Gods, which cool. I'm I love this card. I think it's I think I had it as the third best card in the set. Now once I've played with these cards, so I I'm with you. This is an important piece. But I would want to lean a little bit harder on making sure I get to Ugin because it's really all you have against so many decks. And you're asking for so much to go right with this kind of fiddly mid game. Just just play some Solemn, some lacrims, and Max Binding the Old Gods and get to that eight mana point because that's what you're doing in a lot of spots. Let's not pretend otherwise you're an Ugin deck and just do your best job to get there.
0: I guess the rationale is that binding kind of does solemn's job, so maybe you can afford to, to some play. some you can afford to play some actresses or whatever. Yeah, but
1: you 80 cards. It's like when <laughs> yeah. this deck isn't ramping, it's it's so so ineffective at everything it's trying to do. I would I would play eight copies. I would play the four solemn and I would play the four binding the old gods and just be all in on getting to the Yugen.
0: Yeah, I'd be down with that. And then this is 32 lands, which to Jawari Disruption, which also seems like a light. L- a little bit light, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a little light for me. I mean, Maze Mind Tome in some way fixes a little bit of that, but again, when you're at 80 cards, you you just can't bank on that reliably. So I, I would like to see that change a little bit as well. There, there's something to this being a fine Ugin deck. I'm not trying to dismiss it out of hand, but there's just little tweaks that if that's your identity, I'd rather you lean a little bit harder into it.
0: So Koma can't be countered. I already saw some, some tweets about that. Mm-hmm beginning of each upkeep, not just yours. So you're getting almost some immediate value. And I guess the the sacrifice stuff is pretty solid. Maybe this card is just better than I'm giving it credit for, but I don't know.
1: I think there's some decks that really struggle against it. Like in particular, something like the, is it tempo style decks have a nightmare against this card. They can, they can basically do nothing. Okay. Um, So it's a huge get there. And it, certainly it has weaknesses. I think maybe it's it's more of a sideboard card. Like there, it, Just because it has such polarized matchups, like you play this and they Elspeth Conquers Death, you don't feel great about what just went down. But if you can find a spot where your opponent's playing a little cold to it, it has a lot of potential to just be a super frustrating card to play against.
0: Tap target permanent. Its activated abilities can't be activated this turn. You can tap their lands?
1: Yeah. If you does, would like to do that. Does that go, matter? Go to town. Does that matter? I, I think it in more cases than not, it won't matter.
0: It's um, like the the last turn, right? When you're on like the last push.
1: Yeah. And or, you know, you, you want some number of serpents around to just kind of cover your bases and not get caught by a double burn spell or something like that. But yeah. I, I think it's just more important to be able to slow down Goldspan Dragon and the fact that their battlefield isn't very wide. So you just Right. Stop all their offense, beat them down, and they can't really interact with this card in any meaningful way.
0: Aethergust was the hero the entire time.
1: <laughs> I know. There's been multiple cards now where I'm like, oh, I miss Aethergust.
0: Uh I don't think I've ever gone that
1: far, but uh, when Omnath was around, you didn't miss Aethergust?
0: Nah no, because Omnath would have played it.
1: I don't know, man. I <laughs> It, it would have. You're 100% correct, but at least you would have felt like you had some agency on interacting with your opponent's Omnath as opposed to just the race to Omnath we played for two weeks.
0: Yeah, we just had to put dispute in all our decks. Yeah. Anyway, Ryuji, Boros, Showdown. We talked a decent amount about this already. This take is a little bit different than mine, but is more in line with what I've been seeing, which is. For the most part, Bone Crush Over, Skyclave Apparition, because it's a little bit more aggressive, two copies of Gold Span Dragon, two Embercleave, three Maul the Skyclaves, and Robber of the Rich in the creature base. My deck has been, you know, leaner, no five drops, no equipment, uh very close to Mono White, no robber of the rich. But I I get this take. I endorse it. I think that this is a very good deck.
1: Uh this is a lot closer to what I was playing early on in the format. And even down to, like, the mall, of the Skyclaves, Halvar stuff, which was super impressive in a bunch of spots, um, but Halvar was kind of one of the casualties of Showdown, where you just get lean, cut down the mana costs, and same with all the equipment, just less and less equipment. So, I, I don't know. I, I like the idea of maybe just having one Halvar when you're convinced the mall, of the Skyclaves is still an important card, but... Like we said, just these decks keep getting leaner and leaner. Robber of the Rich has impressed. So there's some incentive for me to go in that direction, especially with Maul of the Skyclaves. Um, but you sort of already have your engine. You have Showdown ready to go, and you don't need to recoup cards all that often. I like Haste. Uh, I really like the protectability of Season Hollow Blade, and these decks are very, very good. I endorse them.
0: I've seen... Mm, maybe not s- like several is the right word, but at least uh, a couple, a few people get burned by the fact that they had Robber the Rich and weren't playing Snowlands.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. So
0: I don't know if that's something to take into consideration. Ryuji has one random snow-covered mountain, and it's not even like there are any fable passages or whatever to fetch it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, just for funsies. But yeah, that's that's something to maybe take into consideration. It's like there, there's like the mono blue snow deck where they're like frost augers. There's the is a deck where maybe you pick up a frostbite or something. So there's, there's a lot of random stuff.
1: Just want to point to a couple of the sideboard cards here because they're, they're not cards that I've played. I wonder if you have any interest in them.
0: One of them, I I had to like reread the card and think about it.
1: Okay. So the, the three that stand out to me, the first is Bosry cat, which was like a planeswalker that looked pretty good and sort of went away because there weren't a bunch of good small white creatures but uh there are now any interest in revisiting this card
0: if if there were more ways to go wide or like to to give you bonuses for going wide i I would be much happier using the minus two but kind of like you pointed out with clarion spirit type of stuff and there is one clarion spirit in this deck for whatever that's worth But it's just like all right you make these tokens but then what do you do with them you know and then The plus one, it's it's just so disappointing that it's not until your next turn.
1: Next turn, yeah. So you play a little defense.
0: Yeah, or even just like, all right, I'll I'll bubble this one creature through a sweeper or whatever. If if it did that, then that would have solved like my my sweeper's problem before, like the Basri's lieutenant thing. I would have been mm. all about that. But yeah, there's there's just like a lot of problems with this card, and it's not the numbers on it or anything. It's just how the format is.
1: Okay. Uh, next card that caught my eye, Relic Robber. Not haven't seen much of this card. I think I think you were high on this when it was released. Is that correct?
0: Uh, I thought it was one R on my initial okay. read. Okay, that's why I was high on. I was like this this card is but like three power haste at the very least, and you're like it costs three mana. And I was like oh yeah, never mind.
1: <laughs> okay, so I'm assuming not in love with it here.
0: Yeah, now it's just like, uh, three mana, 2-2, two, two, the stats aren't great, your opponent might already have a blocker for it, even if you do get through, you know, either you're dealing like a little bit of damage, or they have some way to get rid of the token, you know, there are just some matchups where it's just embarrassing, like yeah. the village rights deck or whatever, obviously you're not going to bring it in there, it does live in the sideboard, so maybe, who cares, but I don't know, even against stuff like Urian or whatever, it's like, uh, who cares,
1: yeah, I don't see a great matchup for this one. Uh, and then the final card in the sideboard, there's a Cosmos Elixir, two of which, them. Yeah, so so this card is interesting to me because I've been playing it in Karn decks. Like in particular, my Pioneer in Search of Greatness Mono Green Devotion deck wanted a proactive four mana play I could make after using my Karn. And there just weren't many at that particular mana cost. So I ended up playing a Cosmos Elixir. And I thought it was pretty good in that role. But in terms of just like a raw card that I'm putting in sideboards, I really haven't considered it. Is, is this doing anything for you?
0: So at first I was like, oh, this is just like an anti-beatdown card unless you're you know, playing life gain or something. And I had to look at the main deck. I was like, this isn't like the mono white deck. There's not a lot of incidental life gain things, but it's like you just let it sit for a turn, right? And that's that's all it does. Yeah, And then you're above 20. And then you start drawing cards. And it's like, okay, I I kind of get it. I feel like there should be a better option. Uh, maybe, I don't know, even the mono red decks aren't burn decks, right? They're Ember Right. They, they kill you in chunks of 10, right? So like, if, if this was like, oh, good against control and good against beatdown or whatever, I, I could maybe see it. But as is, I'm like, okay, I get what they're doing with it. I still don't think it's good enough, but I could be wrong.
1: I think this card would have been incredible 10 years ago, but oh, just yeah. based on oh, how yeah. things play now, I, I, I haven't really wanted it unless it's something I could get with Karn. Uh, so I was very surprised to see it here.
0: It is interesting though. I mean, the, the funny thing about these boros decks is like all the cards that they usually have in their sideboards. I just have in my main deck. Yeah. So like they, there's like giant Redain. killers. It's the Redain. one that you
1: always play main and I always have in my sideboard.
0: It's, it's good against everyone.
1: It, it's very good. I, i know
0: okay so yeah my sideboard has Dranith magistrate and like three copies of Dranith magistrate and a helios nice. intervention right now but i'm not very high on either of those cards but it was like i just there's only like 10 cards i actively want and then i wrote up the sideboarding guide and was like okay where could i i benefit from having more cards against these decks and there was like a slot that I could have made against Urian and mono green food where it's like, yeah, Heliod's intervention is probably very good against both of them. Right. So that's, that's where that came in. And then magistrate has, has been solid against gruel, just like stopping them from casting their adventure creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they mostly rely on bone crusher. Sometimes they'll have like fire prophecy or scorching dragon fire, but you know, you do have uh luminarch aspirant and selfless savior and stuff like that to protect it. If you actually care, and if they're splashing showdown, even better, right? Yeah. And, then, and then they're like the showdown mirrors where I was like, oh, I think I only want two of these. But, you know, it, it's it's weird to me where it's like, well, now there's, th- this person is playing stuff that I hadn't even considered, like Bosri, Relic Robber, Cosmos Elixir. So maybe I need right. to do a deeper dive on building the sideboard.
1: It's all about how you want to approach those game plans. I, I think in given the way you've been building your burrow stacks, I really like Drannith Magistrate because I felt like you were particularly empowered to play longer games and yeah. uh, do a better job playing the control role. And in that spot, I really like you taking Drannith Magistrate and taking away Showdown from your opponents. So see where you're going with that one. Um, it, it's it, funny
0: though, because you strain a bunch of their cards in exile. And you're like, I want to play this longer game. But what Magistrate wants you to do is like beat down while they're disrupted. Instead, yeah. they'll eventually draw out of a way to kill your Magistrate, unlock all their cards, and then maybe you fold. So uh, there's
1: there's some tension there, for sure. Okay, interesting.
0: Next up, Game Underscore Night. I, I think this deck is cool. This is Teemer Ramp with Jawari Disruption and uh, things like Fire Prophecy, a lot of Ugins. It's basically just like a spell-based Ramp deck instead of, you know, Lotus Cobra, Dry to the Leasing Grove, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. their Genesis Ultimatuming, hitting the occasional like Beanstalk, Ugin, Shark Typhoon. I love the plan of Genesis Ultimatum into a Shark Typhoon and like having it be good, which this deck does an awesome job of.
1: Uh Yeah, there, there's cool stuff going on here. It is very, very linear approach to... This archetype, and I, I've seen some other ways of doing this that I thought were interesting too. I've seen like Giants Genesis Ultimatum, which I I think is cool. I've I've worked on a bit myself. There's there's weird things going on with some of the Giants where they don't actually trigger off uh, Gen- Genesis <laughs> Ultimatum, which is such a weird weird thing to me that only the Giants are finally having their entered the Battlefield abilities constrained. But so be it. I don't know if Goldspan Dragon actually fits with these approaches. I I thought this would be the obvious home for Goldspan Dragon, and I've been a little underwhelmed with it here. I think it's a better tempo tool than a ramp tool for the most part. But the idea of Genesis Ultimatum, it's just not going anywhere. It's maybe my least favorite card in all of Standard, in a Standard just flush with cards I don't like all that much. Genesis Ultimatum probably takes the cake but something like this has to exist, and Ugin deck has to exist, so here we are.
0: Well, it's a little bit different, right? But like, how do you feel about, uh, and maybe it doesn't matter because this isn't really a real deck, but Goldspan Dragon in big red decks with four copies of Ugin.
1: It is better there. So I actually played a bunch of big red. I uh, was working on the archetype quite a bit. The difference is that there was a real beatdown approach that happened in those decks. And it, at least my version had like, Bone Crusher Giant into Solemn into Faceless Haven into four Goldspan Dragon. So I, I was just stealing a bunch of games by beating down. And that's where I think the difference lies is that this deck is basically Ugin or Bust, and you're not getting as much from the 4 4 haste. And in that circumstance, would you just rather have another ramp spell? I don't know. It, it depends.
0: Well, the, the point is Goldspan Dragon ramps basically perfectly into Ugin. Uh, so, you know, say you play it and they try and kill it. Okay. Your treasure has gone. Cause you, you counter their spell or whatever. And then next turn you get to attack and play Ugin. And this, this deck granted only has like the just dis- Jwari disruptions, one mystical disputes. Yeah. So, like you could go that route where you play a bunch of dragons and Ugins and ultimatums and have more ways to protect your, your dragon. And I could see that.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I might want to take another look at that, uh, using lofty denial and seeing what you can get to. And that's like a Lofty Denial Ugin deck is pretty interesting to me.
0: Yeah, because this deck has Shark Typhoon already for yep. for Lofty, so.
1: Yeah, and I think like playing Brazen Borrower in this type of strategy is completely reasonable. Maybe you're not Genesis Ultimatum at that point. Maybe you're just Ugin, but I, I would take a look at that. That that sounds promising.
0: El, El Yalo. I don't know. Nailed it. I, I didn't nail it. Ellie Allo. <laughs> I don't know uh mono red 18 snow covered mountains four faceless haven frostbite shock slang fire tor bran oh wow i just realized no ember cleave because they're playing like phoenix of ash and goldspan dragon i still don't know if that's right but that is definitely something
1: it's interesting uh a lot more reach here than the typical mono red deck And able to pull a little bit of damage out of your mana base as well with Faceless Haven, which seems like an important pickup for decks like this. A little awkward with like a super heavy red card like Torbren and things like Slaying Fire, but I, I don't think it's disqualifying. I think that's a big enough pickup where you can be interested in it, thinking back to like old style beatdown decks with Muta Vault and how much sweeper protection it gives you in a deck which really doesn't have much sweeper protection magda being played here i I love the combination of magda plus shock and frostbite yeah bunch of cheap spot removal yeah and maybe that's what a lot of the other magda decks i had seen were missing because uh this was a card i played a ton of week one it was just in all of my decks week one and has fallen out of favor pretty dramatically but i didn't think it was bad it was just like a solid card but required some very specific circumstances to make it work and I think El Yalo does a good job of making it work here and then using it to get to the top end of Goldspan Dragon and really going off from there. I would like Phoenix of Ash as a home for Goldspan Dragon mana because there's not a bunch of that here. Like you said, no Embercleave, so you're not getting that turn. But you can do stuff with like activate Faceless Haven and still play a threat. So there's cool stuff going on here for sure. The mono red decks I've played against haven't blown me away, but I haven't played against anything that looks like this. So maybe this is the way to do it.
0: Yeah, this looks interesting. I mean, you're talking about stealing wins from people with the Ugin deck, and maybe this is just a better way to go about that. Could be. I could even see like a sort of a mishmash, right? Or like maybe this sort of deck could even have an Ugin sideboard plan. Is that wild? Okay,
1: sure. That's that's a wild take. But I mean, I would just play a bunch more like Shatter Skull Smashings in that spot where you, you get a flex spot where that's both spell right. and land and then you're cheating all all the way up to like 26 land maybe and then i think that starts to work yeah
0: smashing's weird because it's not a a snow land and haven is pretty greedy and like frostbite is too to some degree
1: yeah yeah i I still had shatter skull smashings in my uh like big red decks just because i think the versatility of it you you get paid regardless even if that is a very greedy card i'm still high on shatter skull smashing in this approach
0: same yeah this deck is cool i like this was having a discussion with a friend of mine and tundra fumarole came up and this is kind of like the exact sort of deck where you would expect it it's like a bigger red approach and you can use the mana to funnel it into faceless haven like maybe there aren't enough good sinks for it but like you do have magna making treasures maybe goldspan dragon treasures you can pump phoenix of ash you know if you have another red man obviously but like it's, it's one of those cards that you kind of expect to see here, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, again, it was a card that was in my big red deck, and uh, I built around it in a lot of ways with, like, Maze Mind Tome. That's where I often wanted to put the mana from it and my Faceless Havens, obviously. The real problem with the card is that when it kills something, it's incredible, but four is not always the number you're looking for. Like, if it, I, I just wish it did five damage. I think it's such an interesting card at five damage at 4 it has its homes it's ha- it has its times to shine but it's also really inflexible it only does this one thing It's sorcery speed so there's a bunch working against it too i think it really has to contemplate what the format looks like before you can get value from it
0: yeah that's basically what i said was just love struck beast the end yep. yeah uh slang Fire. that's a
1: real problem for red decks
0: yeah slang fire main soul sear in the sideboard even like a crone war in the sideboard is sort of like a nod to love struck beast so mhm yeah. It would be cool to be able to play with that card because I, I agree with you. It is sweet.
1: Yeah, maybe uh, maybe post Eldraine it has its home.
0: All right, maybe this is uh, Cruel and Unusual Punishment, but you have to try and pronounce this next name. Uh,
1: I I think this just says, fuck you. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, F F A Q U E I U. I I think so. I don't know for sure, but that's, that's my guess. That's,
0: so I, like I read it and then before I tried to like you know, sound it out. I was like, all right, I'm making Brian do this. And then I tried to sound it out and I was like, wait a second.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So yeah, I'm,
0: I'm on the, the same conclusion as you, but, uh, I mean, that's a good screening for this deck. They're just playing cycling.
1: Yeah. I feel, I feel kind of fucked by this. I don't really want to read this. It's, it's not all that interesting. Uh, It's the old cycling deck with a Riel the Everwise, which is not something I think we did last go around. Right. No. I don't remember that card seeing much play.
0: But now we're like pathway flooded and can just kind of do whatever we want, so.
1: Yeah, that's neat. You know, I actually messed around with some cycling earlier in the week, but I did it with Showdown of the Skulls because I thought the deck really benefited. If you've played any cycling, you know you often hit these states where you're just like, I don't have anything left in my hand. All I have is lands. Yeah,
0: but it's so bad, right? Because all the cards you hit off it are just nonsense.
1: Well, so. I rebuilt the deck, so that wasn't the case. And I I didn't have any of the non-castable stuff. It was strictly Boros, no Boon of the Wishgiver, no Memory Leak type stuff. It's all castable spells, which means they're a bit worse, but it it functioned. It worked. It just didn't really do anything to redeem the archetype, I don't think. So uh, this one feels mostly dead to me, but the type of deck that could steal a tournament if the metagame works in the wrong way.
0: I, th- I think inadvertently the most F-bombs that have been dropped on this cast, by the way, except for maybe the episode that Majors was
1: on. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a toss-up. We'll have to have someone run the numbers on those two episodes.
0: All right. Well, you said three so far. Uh, we have you know, maybe Still five a lot minutes. of
1: time left. Yeah,
0: five minutes left. So, <laughs> uh, Rockfort, another mono-white deck. That's a cheese, right? Oh, I don't know. Dude, I'm not cultured. You're
1: asking the um, wrong person. I'm gonna Google that. Yeah, it is a cheese, uh, a type of blue cheese. Actually, it appears.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm way off it. Okay.
1: Love cheese. I don't know, I don't know why I got excited when a cheese showed up in the names, but that's <laughs> what's up to really. No, you
0: were you're you're, you're the, the the meme that's like, hey, I get that reference, right? Like, you're, yeah. You're Captain America.
1: Uh, I guess so.
0: Faceless Haven Mono White. This is similar. I don't know. I guess this is like four Halvars, one Legion Angel. I'm trying to figure out how many cards are, I guess, like Snow-Covered Plains and Faceless Haven are different enough. Like, is that all it takes for Magic Online to post the the different deck lists?
1: I, I think it's 15 cards, right? A 15 yeah. card difference. Yeah, I think there's 15 cards different here. I mean, this is a hard commitment to Halvar. Even like the Snow-Covered Plains, right? Would that be enough to do it? I don't
0: know. I was wondering about that. Is that all it takes is to play Snowlands and not Snowlands?
1: Maybe. It's a good way to get your uh, unique like Naya <laughs> Adventures deck published to throw the Snowlands in there.
0: Yeah. And just walk right into my Redain's.
1: <laughs> uh, broke you, it. You
0: fools. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We, we talked about this deck. It's good. Uh, this, this deck has Giant Killer which I really like right now. And it's, it's a conscious choice to not Play Showdown of
1: the Scalds. Yeah. So I, I think you're choosing like Halvar over it, quite frankly. And I, I get it. Like I had moments with Halvar where I'm like, this card might just be the truth. It is very explosive. You get to win games out of nowhere. So uh, I haven't seen anyone really try and maximize this card. Rockford is the first person I've seen do that and could be on to something. I'm, I'm telling you, the card impressed when I played it.
0: I, I think that it is impressive. I just don't think that. I want to spend mana equipping things rather than doing showdown things.
1: Well, I have good news for you, Gerald. If you read the second part of Halvar, God of Battle, you don't have to spend your mana equipping things. You get to just that's toss them around for free.
0: That's not true. It has to already be equipped to something. And you had to cast
1: Halvar, which is four mana. Okay, that's that's fair. It does have to be equipped to something. I mean, Maul cheats that a little bit, right? Like th- This all works if you just go like... 2-drop, Maul, Halvar. That's that's all the investment you have to make. But that right. assumes all your stuff's living, which season Hollow Blade does a really good job of. Like, There's there's good pieces for this type of strategy to work, and if you're not going to do the thing where you're playing Showdown of the scalds, then you better end the game in these kind of burst damage scenarios. And I like doing this more than being like, oh, I'm a mid-range white beatdown deck, and I still don't have Showdown of the Skalds. I mean, you should probably just play Showdown of the Scalds, but in terms of just being a pure white deck, this makes a little bit more sense.
0: If you have Haloblade into Maul and you have the option to cast Halvar, you're probably playing the equipment and equipping it. Because if you have a two drop equipped with a Maul, you don't need Halvar to move it around because you're killing them with the Maul.
1: Yeah, but Double Strike is so much damage. You know, are you aware that's double the damage you were previously doing?
0: Uh, I, I didn't do the math. You're that correct. That's twice that. as much. You're and correct. that is
1: a pretty large number, I have to say.
0: Yeah, but if you just equipped the equipment...
1: Double. You would, you would
0: deal four damage. Uh, okay,
1: whatever. Exponential growth or something like that. S- something like that. I don't Stonks. know. Stonks.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. What else have you been working on that you like? Real real quick hits.
1: I, I have a lot of half-baked ideas right now. I wrote about a Urian deck this week, which I was very, very high on. It left some flaws By the time it hit publishing, which I would now look to address a little bit more, main one being Vorniclex, like I was just way too soft to Vorniclex. Not that they're everywhere, but there's no excuse for being that soft. So there's something to the engine of Runeforge Champion, a bunch of runes, and It it all works really well. Your endgame gets huge. You have this trampling death touch hasty threat you can put together out of nowhere. Satessan Champion's a real card. So I was really into that deck. It just kind of... Uh, there's a few individual cards it struggles with. And I, I don't know if you're supposed to solve those issues or just look to do something else. I still work with a bunch of Alren's Epiphany decks, and it's kind of just a question of what the format's about. I believe there is a spot where you should just like generate some battlefield and close the game. I mentioned the Nico Aris approach to that, which I thought was promising, but still needs some more work. Nothing that I really like want to say go play this right now. I, I think the default decks are very strong. I think the showdown decks are very strong. And the more diverse showdown decks will get more of my attention. Things like Naya counters, the ability to make really big bodies was exciting for me. The Mardu stuff is is interesting. I'm not saying this is the final state of this deck, but being able to play like this weird aggro. Uh, grindy strategy was really appealing to me. And you need to find something that it does a little bit better than either Boros or Naya because those decks have a pedigree. They have super powerful cards. So all these decks need a reason to justify their existence. And I don't quite have them yet, but there's there's stuff worth exploring. I'm, I'm not like down and out on the format. And I think these decks have no chance. They're just not finished yet.
0: Alrun's Epiphany is a card that I need to work more with. For some reason, I don't know. I just got very waylaid by Jasper Sentinel and Magda and Showdown and Goldspan Dragon and you know some of it is like oh these are truly like you know busted magic cards and some of it yeah, is like yeah you found
1: the best cards in the set uh, there's no there's no reason not to be distracted by those cards that's fine
0: yeah i guess but it's like man those those cards are like you know pretty spiky and not not the first two not not Jasper Sentinel but <laughs> right. but Alren's Epiphany it's like that's something that i should i should really Care about and try to work on, and I'm I'm disappointed in myself, Brian. I'm going all disappointed dad on myself.
1: There's plenty of time left in this format. I, you go work on it, come back next week, let us know what you found. I'm, I'm sure you'll get some good work in this weekend.
0: Yeah, fair enough. One last thing that I want to note is that uh, in in my article I wrote this week, I did have a sideboarding guide, and it. Like, the fact that I chose to include a sideboarding guide meant that I had to think about what decks were important. And I, I would like to note those before we go because they didn't all show up in the deck dome. Sure. So in no real particular order, uh, Gruul, Yurian, this being more of, like, Gilded Goose, Trail of Crumbs, Binding the Old God, which did not show up. Uh, I think that that is the best version. Is it Tempo, uh, Luis's, is it... Goldspan Dragon, Shark Typhoon deck. I don't think that deck's great, but it's done fairly well in tournaments. I play against it a lot on ladder. There are a lot of people playing it. Boros decks, by which I usually mean, you know, the Robber of the Rich, Maul, the Skyclaves decks, not necessarily mine. I think mine's better, but whatever. Uh, Rakdos, I've played against more Sacrifice decks than traditional, but some of them are just kind of merging to be mishmashes too, so... Yeah you know, whatever, Rakdos stuff, Mono Green Food, which I don't know. We, we talked about like Mono Green Beatdown, which I think we both like. And the food decks seem good. They they should be good in theory, but they're just not. I would much rather, you know, Blessing of Frost people or whatever
1: than- There's, there's better engine decks than the food decks. So if you're going to take a half approach, then have a beatdown plan. That's better. And I think that's what you get by going the the green beat down route.
0: Yeah, that's basically how I feel too.
1: Uh There's there's also
0: an argument to be made that the food deck really wants to play Feasting Troll King and it competes with Vorinclex. Vorenklex. Vorenklex yeah. is the stronger thing to be doing right now.
1: I think it is, yeah.
0: And the last one, again, like I said, no particular order, was Rogues. So th- those were the seven decks I was kind of thinking about. The eighth one, that didn't really make it because I haven't seen... Any sort of consensus is Ramp, where Genesis Ultimatum is still a card, even if you want to just do old school, obosh, teamer adventure stuff, that's fine. I think that there are better things to do with Genesis Ultimatum, but we haven't really figured that out yet.
1: How are you faring against Genesis Ultimatum with like your Redain plans? Because in most cases, I feel fine against that matchup using just Redain as my main concession.
0: Yeah, Redain's good until they decide that they want to be able to kill it, and... You know, maybe when that happens, it's like, well, I'll play the fourth selfless savior and uh, like Tybalt's trickery is another card that you could potentially play against them where maybe you can't yeah. beat ultimatum, but you can beat a terror of the peaks or an edge wall innkeeper or whatever. Uh, so that's something to potentially consider, but... I don't know. Those those matchups are scary. It really just depends on how much they have to slow you down. Because if they slow you down even like the smallest amount, they're probably going to get to resolve Genesis Ultimatum or Ugin, and there's not a whole lot you can do. And with Ultimatum, they're just rolling dice. Ugin is very difficult to beat. Maybe I need to look into Glorious Protector. So yeah, a few a few cool things happened as a result of like the podcast and looking at the 12 deck lists and talking to you and stuff. It's like I got a few more things that I need to think about, but uh, as far as the ramp matchup specifically, I just don't think you have to worry about it right now, but it will show yeah. up at some point.
1: Yeah, that that's kind of been my take too. There's not enough of it that I really want to hard dedicate to it. So I'm comfortable using Redane. Also, like very small concessions have gone a long way, like something like having uh Stone Coil Serpent in a couple of the decks I was building that should be super vulnerable because they do such a good job of generating early offense. Just having that one threat to make it through uh has has been enough in a lot of spots. But I want to explore Angel. I think that's a card that I have personally not looked at enough as a way to play around Ugin Sweepers, and uh, I want to do more with that.
0: Yeah, me too. I, I just I like the card a lot. It has sort of the same problem as the things that we were talking about, where it's like the equipment are mana-intensive, Goldspan Dragon, great Greathenge, Embercleave. They're bad cards to flip over with Showdown. Glorious Protector is kind of the same thing. You can't foretell off of Exile. So Man. if you could do that, then, you know, who cares? It's basically another two drop, right? But you can't. So it's a little bit awkward and it's not ideal. But in those matchups, you generally want more, more big cards, at least against like the super controlling Ugin decks. Against the the teamer deck, uh, I did note this in the article, is that you, this is like the only matchup where I would want to potentially shave on Showdown of the scalds because you're just not going to be doing these late game things and Mm. the the counters and the cards that you get aren't going to push through the things that they're doing
1: all makes sense to me it sounds like a a very reasonable approach to that matchup game game Good luck!